lost deep in the pages of your Bible are the books that are unmentioned, unheard of, and unread. They are the forgotten books of the Bible. Welcome to your Church Friends Podcast. I am Chris. I'm Jurzich. It's cold. Yeah. <laughs> we had the conversation beforehand. Like, I mean, it's 64 degrees right now. But yeah. California. California 64 is colder than anywhere else is 30. Yeah. By far. Way by far. I mean, like, I'm in a sweater. I've got <laughs> You have gloves on. I've got gloves on. <laughs> I thought about wearing a beanie. Like, I was going to bundle up for you. Also, like, where we record... Uh, it's brick wall. Yeah. So that just... It is colder. It makes it colder. Nice gray brick. Yeah. yeah nice nice warmth happening. In yeah. <laughs> Speaking of warmth, talking about Lamentations today. Yeah. Yeah, that's a warm book. Sure is. Yeah. You want to read your intro? Yeah. So uh, welcome, everybody, to our podcast on the Book of Lamentations. In the next couple episodes, we'll be exploring this heart-wrenching and tear-jerking collection of poems that will have you reaching for the tissues. But don't worry, we'll have some humor to lighten the mood too. The Book of Lamentations is part of the Hebrew Bible and is traditionally attributed to the prophet Jeremiah, a.k.a. the original emo kid. <laughs> I was just, why'd you have to laugh? I was trying to make it through. Because I, I forgot about it. I drank water right in between you saying that, so I was trying not to like spit it out. It is believed to have been written after the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile of the Israelites, which took place in the 6th century BCE. At this time, the Israelites were living under the rule of the Babylonian Empire, and Jerusalem, the capital city and center of Israelite worship, had been completely leveled. The people were forced to leave their homes and their homeland, and many were taken into exile in Babylon. Talk about a rough day. The Book of Lamentations is a testament to the pain and suffering that the Israelites experienced during this time. Through its poetry, it reflects on the loss of Jerusalem and the exile and expresses the deep grief and sorrow of the people. But despite its somber subject matter, the Book of Lamentations is also a testament to the enduring hope and faith of the Israelites. It speaks to the resilience of the human spirit and the enduring power of love and connection, even in the darkest of times. So grab a box of tissues and join us on this emotional journey as we dive into the theme, structure, and message of the Book of Lamentations and consider its relevance for contemporary readers. Just remember, it's okay to cry. It's good for the soul. <laughs> That's like the most prep you've ever done for this episode or this show. <laughs> All right. So we got to say the most prep that I've ever done required, not required, entailed me opening up chat GPT yeah. five minutes before we started recording, well, before we started talking. <laughs> yeah. And I just went, hey, Chris, check this out. And I just asked ChatGPT, give me an outline for the book. Of, give me a podcast outline yeah, yeah. for the Book of Lamentations. And it gave me a six-point outline. And I said, give me a script for point one. And it gave me a script. And I said, give me that same script, but with a little bit of corny humor. And, <laughs> and that's what you heard. It was yeah. an AI-generated uh, podcast script. That was for nuts. The, the intro to Lamentations. Yeah. That was pretty accurate, too. If you ever hear me coming like that again, you will know... That ain't mere the yeah. that, that is artificial <laughs> intelligence. The AI has taken over his brain yeah. and his mouth. Yeah, the the Jeremiah, the first emo kid, was pretty good. Yeah, I was really hoping there's gonna be more humor on that yeah. level, but <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that was a pretty good intro. I mean, it did cover it. It did. I like scrap can scrap like half my notes now. 
cool. We're down to a 10 minute yeah, episode. <laughs> the shortest. Thank you for listening. Movie. We are your church. Right? <laughs> All right. So the breakdown of this book, not done by AI generated. It's uh, it's actually pretty simple. It follows the, all five chapters. Uh, so chapter one is the desolation of Jerusalem. Chapter two is God's judgment on Jerusalem. Chapter three is uh, hoping God's faithfulness in the midst of disaster. Uh, chapter four is Jerusalem before and after the siege. And then chapter five is a prayer of restoration. And honestly, getting into Lamentations, it was um, it's an interesting study. It was a lot different compared to some of the other books that we've covered where, like, you can find somewhat about who wrote it or uh, what's really happening. Mm-hmm. Um, they, there's, like, dates and time. And this really doesn't offer that much to you other than it is, like our AI friend said, five poems um, about what just happened in, in the lives of the people in Jerusalem. Yeah, when we're looking at studying, it's somewhat like psalms because you know Mm -hmm. as far as poetry goes and you're looking at that and i know that a couple of the prophets that we've had did talk in more of a poetic style or Mm -hmm. even like a really high level of poetic you know working that in but this is just really straight poetry coming from jeremiah talking about it and yeah it's kind of like even the psalms have a bit of a header sometimes this was a psalm attributed to this person or this is a psalm for you know asaph or whoever it is but yeah, just diving right into Lamentations is like, how lonely lies the city? It's like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> we're going. Thanks, Shakespeare. Like, what's happening? Yeah, uh, and a, a lot of, uh, like, Christians, I, I didn't know this, that Christians uh, often use Lamentations during the season of Lent. Hmm. And I thought that was pretty interesting. And, any, uh, any further digging into that no, as far as, like, why like, that connection? Probably just the, I don't know, I guess the weeping. Yeah, because if you look at, you you're know, giving um, up something. You're American Christians are like, I can't eat chocolate for forty yeah, days. Bust out lamentations. <laughs> <laughs> How desolate we are! <laughs> but it is because of my sin. <laughs> what is it? Verse nine. His filthiness or her filthiness clung to her skirt. She did not consider her future. Yeah, when I eat too much chocolate, my clothes cling to <laughs> cling to my flesh. <laughs> but it, it is interesting. Uh, and it's also used a lot in uh, the Jews use it during, I think it's Tish Baf. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but if one of our Jewish friends are listening, they could correct me, uh, which commemorates the destruction of the Second Temple in mm-hmm. uh, AD 70. So they go to Lamentations for that part there. Um, so let's get into question one, since we're already in it. Like, what is the book of Lamentation? And uh, as our AI friend, yeah, it's a poetic book responding to the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, at the te- and the temple by the Babylonians. I thought this was interesting. I didn't note this, that it's part of the writings, uh, which is uh, usually Song of Songs, Ruth, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, and Esther. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of clumped into that, or I think the fancier word is Megaloth. I don't know. Yeah, Megaloth. Megaloth, yeah. I think that in the Hebrew one, there's that O-T-H, is more of an O-T. Yeah, it just sounds like a, when I look at the name, it looks like a Godzilla villain. <laughs> Godzilla versus Megalo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's where we're coming from today. Uh, and then uh, the the word itself, uh, Lamentations, comes from the Hebrew uh, words of uh, like alas or oh how. Uh, the Septuagint and the Greek manuscripts refers to the book as the dirges or the dirges of Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Vulgate identifies it as dirges, and this is the result of our English translation 
Lamentations. So we're seeing that coming, like bringing the dirges about, because where did that first pop up? Was that Joel? Was yeah, Joel considered? So. Yeah. You know, the dirges coming in. So these prophets coming in with their dirges. But again, you have the prophets, and one of the prophets' main things was to speak, hey, you guys got to repent. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, like we've seen, the people didn't want to repent. And so when it comes to the side of like, okay, well, judgment's coming, and you have these dirges of the judgment coming in. So um, I know we're going to talk a little bit about Jeremiah, but popularly, Lamentations is attributed to Jeremiah. Yeah. So you've got the book of Jeremiah looking at him and his life, but then Lamentations really being, uh, I think it was written a little bit after. Jeremiah, from what I've seen, obviously, if you look at the timeline, he's warning them, warning them, warning them. And then you have lamentations where just like, oh, my gosh, it's happening. Yeah. This is kind of a two-part prophetic thing happening. It's like the Yeah, yeah. It's like the dirge following the, hey, I'm giving you the warning, and then the dirge is the follow-up. Yeah, you get. I I have this further in my notes, but I'll just use it now. It's almost like the idea of like the parent warning the kid, like, don't do that, you're going to get hit. And the kid's like, I'm going to do it anyways. And then the kid gets disciplined and they're sitting in the room crying and like, why did, you know, why did dad do that to me? And it's like, well, you were warned. Uh, you just didn't follow through. And that's what Lamentations is. It's the follow up to the events. And I think what's interesting about it too is that how closely written it actually was to the events that happened. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, looking at how closely written... I was getting around 586 BC is yeah. when Lamentations was written, which Jeremiah would be, a, you know, a little bit older than that. Yeah, so I have it. The earliest possible date is 586, and the latest date must be like 550 BC. And they get that since uh, the Deutero Isaiah or Second Isaiah is where Lamentations and it's crazy because you go into study of these books and they use all these fancy terms, and really they could have just say like the second half of the Book of Isaiah is second Isaiah. Uh, so that references Lamentations. So that's where they get that, you know, 550 would be the latest. No matter how many times I hear something like Deutero Isaiah mm-hmm. and I learn what it means, my brain doesn't hold on to some of that. And when I read it again, I go, hold on. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like there's just certain things. There's just, yeah. I don't know why it doesn't stick. Yeah. And, and I, so I'm glad that you did that right now because like, Oh, is that another forgotten book that no, we need no, we're going to cover that? That would just be like going through Isaiah. I think it's like chapters 40 something onward. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, some people even split it up into three books. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's just what people do. What I did find interesting, though, that copies of Lamentation were among the Qumran documents. I have this quote that says While we have little information on the question of how Lamentations came to the scriptures, we know of no controversy about its status there. Unlike books such as Daniel, there's only one form of the book. Unlike Esther, it features among the Qumran documents. Uh, unlike books such as Wisdom, it was written in Hebrew and appears in the Hebrew scriptures. Unlike Ecclesiastes and Ezekiel, no questions were raised about it by the rabbinic discussions after the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. So it, it is this interesting book in the sense that like, you know, there's there's only one form. There's only one form of lamentations. There's not a lot of copies. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was found in a bunch of areas, um, and it just didn't raise any controversy. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool in, in in looking at it and doing the study. Lamentations incorporates various identifiable uh, genres, including 
an individual lament, communal lament, and then the funeral dirge. Uh, and then I thought this was pretty cool that it also resembles city laments, like uh, the Sumerian literature of the Mesopotamians. Mm. So you have uh, five books or five laments of, over cities. You have uh, Ur, Sumer, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this right, Nippur, and Eridu, and Uruk. And then there's the Lamentation of the Destruction of Ur that share several actual elements that are common with Lamentations. So uh, there's the there's the mourning for a ruin of a great city and its shrines by the hand of a deity or divine council. The devastation is usually carried out by an invading army uh, that's portrayed by a storm at times. The goddess of the city is a major figure who challenges the council's decision and mourns. Uh, Mesopotamian cities lament commonly and with the praise of a god who returns and establishes their temple. So with Lamentations, we have uh, the poem mourns, mourns Babylon, the Babylonians' destruction of Jerusalem and its temple. Uh, the authors slash Jeremiah understand the destruction as divine judgment. The female figure is the daughter of Zion that mm -hmm. you read throughout it, and she protests the circumstances. And so it just shares commonalities with some old Mesopotamian literature. So I thought that was pretty cool in itself. Which maybe we can find a good resource, either podcast or video or book or something, or maybe we can just like break down the thought because we've come across it several times. We've talked about it in pieces, but maybe to have just like a good resource to point to as far as when there are similarities between biblical books and writings yeah. and other things of the ancient Near East. Because you, you hop on and you have all these YouTube people, see, it was just copying mm -hmm. older stuff and all the things. Like, that's not what was going on. And it's not unique to the Bible. Like, when you find commonalities between things, like, a lot of that is just how they wrote, you know? And there was a lot of borrowing going on. And so yeah. as far as, like, well, who wrote what first? It's like, even that wasn't necessarily the point of, like, well, who came up with the idea first? It's what are they communicating and why and what's the intent and we come in with our analytical 21st century brain of like, no, scientific, I got to break it down like this, like this. It's like, that's just not how they communicated. Mm -hmm. So I'm just saying that in a don't freak out that Chris just said that there were <laughs> other writings that talked about their gods and destructions yeah. of their cities. And the Bible was just another one of those writings. It's, I don't know. It's think about whenever a popular movie comes out. Like, there tends to be at least one or two more coming out with the same type of theme happening. Yeah. Like, I remember when uh, Disney released the live-action Jungle Book and mm -hmm. Netflix released Mowgli. Yeah. And they were both, li like, you know, they both came out at the same time. It's just like, you're ca like, well, what was first? What was better? What was the purpose? And it's just like, there's just commonalities within culture that yeah. you can use, which Mowgli was a better movie by far. <laughs> <laughs> but I digress. Yeah. <laughs> That's another podcast. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, there was that time, too, where they're like, the bug movies were really popular. There's yeah. like Bugs Life, and then there's another one that's very Ants. similar. Yeah. Yeah. And I think another one even. Yeah, it's bees. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that were, as songs do the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, if you listen to a song today, you could hear the echoes of songs of yesterday, just because it's it's hard to, creativity in arts is so hard to be unique. And when you become unique, you stand out for that reason. And not only that, so much of you want to borrow yeah. for what borrowing does. And I'm using the word borrow and because culture so much is borrowed. There's a lot that living in America is borrowed from 
you know, Europe and coming over, but it's American or living in Southern California. There's a lot from down South past the border in Mexico. And, you know, there's different things. All of that to say, again, is that when we're talking about similarities with other ancient documents, it's not something to really, at first, even with myself, at first it raises like doubts. So I was like, hold on, the Bible is just a copycat. Like mm-hmm. what's going on? But just if for now you can take us out of word and maybe we can find a good resource that it's been well studied. It's just a fact of how things were written back then. And yeah. Yeah. I, you look at the flood story. Oh, yeah. It's That's like an, ubiquitous across all yeah. ancient. Everything has the, a flood story in it. And But then we look at the Bible saying, well, let me tell you the truth about it. And then you have the book of Enoch, which we're going to be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tackle that monster. Yeah. Uh, I think we even brought this up when we talked about in Second Peter. Uh, what was the word when they were cast down that uh, Tarshish? Oh, why is it escaping my brain right now? You said Tarsus, and then that's, <laughs> that's just like... That's, <laughs> my off. Brain. that's all I'm thinking about, yeah. too. It's not that. Cast down... Tartarus. Tartarus. There you go. Yeah, they got cast down into that. <laughs> I had a little spinning wheel in front of <laughs> <laughs> Thinking, thinking. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah, they get cast down into that, but that was uh, Peter using the verbiage of the people that yeah. knew the story that used that word. Uh, so using it almost in a sense to relate to people in, in different ways. Uh, and the Bible does a good job of it. And also correcting, like, this is what you thought, why they got thrown there. Uh, but here's the real reason why. Um, and, and so you kind of find that in Lamentation, too, that uh, the authors or slash Jeremiah use a format that's similar because they've seen cities get destroyed and know what, what that is. Right. And you wouldn't know that unless you went and studied and found right. the other things, right? Yeah. So it's not like people reading through Lamentations like, what the heck? This reminds me of the destruction of Ur. <laughs> What's going on here? Yeah. But, you know, in being honest and why we're doing some more of this deeper study is to bring those things out and, you know, yeah. yeah. I don't think that that's the whole point of our episode is to say, hey, this was like another ancient document, but <laughs> oh. just to speak on it a little bit. Yeah. And uh, I have this is, I read this in a comic commentary. I thought it was pretty cool uh, about why. Uh, so it was like, why was Lamentations written? I, I think like for a lot of books, you can see why, uh, but this one actually brings it down into like, or breaks it down into some really cool things. It said, uh, the need to think out and understand the catastrophe of Jerusalem, mm-hmm. uh, to help the people of Judah think out their understanding, to encourage in the face of devastation, to express the feelings uh, had about what happened, to help other people emphasize, uh, empathize with Jerusalem in its suffering. Uh, and they wanted to pray about everything. Uh, so uh, Lamentations is... Theological, educational, pastoral, uh, catastrophic, and religious. All of this in one book. And then the last part of it says it resonates with several other books. It compares with Proverbs and Songs of Psalm in comprising poetic reflection on human experiences and God's involvement in it. It compares with Job and Ecclesiastes in raising questions and offering comfort and encouragement to the people who are suffering. And, and it compares with Psalms in lamenting over things that God has done protesting to God about it and urging God to turn to his people. It compares with the narrative book and with Jeremiah in giving account of concrete events, the fall of Jerusalem. So yeah, based on that breakdown, it covers a lot. Yeah. As far as structurally what he's uh, transmitting through this, um, especially like how you brought out the connections with... um, Ecclesiastes and Job as far as asking the hard questions 
because that was one of the things that as I was going through it, it's like there is just so much destruction in mm-hmm. this book. Like you get to the point of correct me if I'm wrong, but like people eating their own children. Yeah, actually I drew a little sad face next to it. So it's chapter four, verse ten, uh, with their own hands, compassionate compassionate women have cooked their own children who became their food when the people were destroyed. Yeah, so you get to the point of that, but the book is still written from the understanding of this is one of the judgments of God Mm -hmm. against the wickedness of the people, and it really wrestles with the fact of, like, how can the judgment of a good God come in and result in people eating their own children and it's just like that seems like evil upon evil but i'm just gonna say jeremiah wrote the book i know they keep saying yeah. authors or jeremiah <laughs> we can talk about that in a second before. Yeah, yeah. i keep stalling but i'm just gonna say jeremiah <laughs> go for but it when jeremiah is writing this and he is taking it as like he still sees the hope he says in light of all of this like i'm still going to hold on to hope mm-hmm. for god and what he's doing so really wrestling in the same way you know, Job does and Ecclesiastes and I think that was a good connection. Uh, I've got something that's much lighter as far as <laughs> something to look at with with, the, with this book is that it's five poems and I don't know if you would call it an acrostic, but the first letter of each poem starts with, like the first one starts with Aleph, which is the first letter of the mm-hmm. Hebrew alphabet. And the next one is Bet, which is the second letter. So it just goes one, two, three, four, five in the Hebrew letters. So I think it's Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, and Hey. Yeah. Yeah, the first lettering. It's just another little structural thing as far as you didn't need to do that. (laughs) It's just like, I'm going to have some poetic flavor in. And I think that's the first four chapters. And then chapter five, it like doesn't follow that same like alphabetical uh, pattern throughout the verses. What I really think uh, when we get back into like uh, the Job and Ecclesiastes kind of similarities uh, is the setting of the book itself uh, is why this book kind of speaks volumes. Uh, And we've covered a lot of the destruction of the temple throughout the series. Uh, So I I don't want to spend too much time in it, but uh, being written shortly after destruction, I mean, this is as close to an event as you kind of get in the Bible uh, that it just happened and then it was written within, uh, what do we say, it was 586 to 550, so that's a 20, 30-year time frame. Like, it's really close to when it was written, and a lot of people believe closer to that 586. Um, but the descriptions of this, uh, of everything that's written in Lamentations, you can see it in Second Kings 25, Jeremiah 39. Uh, Jeremiah 52 is actually a really good place to go to read about this because it actually is the last chapter of Jeremiah, that leads into Lamentations, and it gives more of the facts, the names, uh, and the dates that they're missing. But Nebuchadnezzar seizes Jerusalem. They capture it. Uh, they took the king uh, to Babylon. They take the next king and uh, take his eyes out and, and then take him and kill his sons right in front of him before they rip his eyes out and take him. They plunder the temple. Uh, they forced the people from Jerusalem to migrate to Babylon. They brought destruction to the city and devastated the temple. Uh, when I read into it, it said this affected the city's inhabitants, buildings, infrastructures, agricultural life. Uh, the city lost its wealth, honor, fertility, 
Priests abandoned their offices. Shepherds burned their pens. Uh, men neglected their wives and children. And this experience would have been so traumatic for the people uh, in Jerusalem and Judah that it brought this extra level of trauma. Uh, because really what it did is it clashed with what they knew about God and his relationship with them. Uh, he, was, he committed himself to Jerusalem, to his temple, to the line of David. And now it seemed like that commitment was over. And this is the book of Lamentations. Yeah, I mean, really, it's God saying, I'm going to remove myself. I'm going to look away from the destruction that's coming upon you. Like, I've sent all of these prophets. I think that we were talking about that on the last episode or a couple episodes ago, just like the succession of prophets oh, that yeah, were coming yeah. over the course of like yeah. 40 or whatever years that God just kept sending. And then God, he's basically like, okay, I'm, here it comes yeah. and it's happening. So yeah, just on the mental spiritual side of, well, this is Solomon's temple and this is where God resides. And to have kind of the timeline that I had going on, is this happened the during the reign of Jehoi- Jehoiakim, right? Yeah, and then Zedekiah was next or something like that. Yeah, so you had Jehoiakim and this Nebuchadnezzar coming along and it was like a 30-month, so that's two and a half years mm-hmm. of just the siege against Jerusalem. And after 30 months, uh, the city finally fell. And this was, as you're saying, this is like 587, 586, like somewhere around there. And then a month after the city fell, uh, Nebuchadnezzar sent Nebuchadnezzar, who was a commander and from his guard, was sent to demolish the city. And he set fire to the temple, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem and plundered everything and removed it and took it away to Babylon. So you can find that in Second Kings 25, you know, just kind of reading in there. Um, so just when you see two and a half years of a siege from the Babylonians, like two and a half years of just an army outside of your walls, mm-hmm. like coming and fighting you, like that's a long time. And you're just like, you have the whole history of the Israelites of, Look at when they made it into the promised land. And like when God was with them, they did good. And even if you look at the battle of Ai, where the dude stole some uh, yeah, yeah, treasure, yeah, right? And he yeah. kept it and they lost the battle. And like, what's going on? And it's like, well, you were disobedient. So they know what it is to just see that God wins the battles. And they're here in this, in this time. And there's, I think there's just something about having a nominal belief in God or like believing that God is on your side, even when you're in sin. Right. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. like it can happen even as Christians where you're just like, nah, I know that I'm screwing up, but like God is good and like he's still going to look upon me favorable and like we're going to make it through. I believe that was probably like this two and a half years of just, no, Babylonians are evil. Like I'm mm-hmm. not looking at me as evil. I'm looking at them as evil and God will pull through and we'll be victorious. And obviously you're going to fight a war with the hopes and the belief that you're going to be victorious. Yeah. Uh, uh, chapter one even kind of addresses that in the last two verses. Um, it says... Uh, May you bring the day you have announced, so they may become like me. Let their wickedness become uh, wickedness come before you. Deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my sins. My groans are many and my heart faints. But uh, when I read that, I was like, deal with them on that. Or uh, may you bring the day you have announced. Like, this is Jeremiah. Jeremiah is very knowledgeable about, you know, this day of the Lord that's coming mm-hmm. and that's being prophesied. And it's like, deal with them the way you've dealt with us. Uh, kind of reflecting everything that you're saying that like no the babylonians are the bad people this 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 shouldn't happen right 
But just to take it on the point that you were saying, just like everything that this did to them, like I'm just really trying to put myself in the mm-hmm. situation. It's like, okay, all these prophets have come. There's even Jeremiah. He was just talking about it. And then here we are at this point that it's happening and it's still just like, no, it's not going to happen. And then it falls. And then you see literally everything set to flames and the temple just being pillaged. Because if you look at the construction of the temple, that thing was like coated in gold. Yeah. There is all kind of like, that was a... And even the baths that were outside, all the bronze and all the everything, like that was a fancy place. And it just got pillaged by like the most evil and wicked people. And all of that happened. And just what does that do to you? And now you're being led away into exile. No wonder it's called Lamentations. Yeah. <laughs> this is why we get into this book of and where it's at. Like putting yourself in there. This is why doing the study helps. Because if you just read Lamentations without knowing the context of why there's this mourning, why this is happening, why there's this almost no hope. I mean, the the book itself ends with literally a question of, God, are you going to do something? Um, And if you just read it without the context of knowing what's going on, imagine, yeah, two years of feeling like there's an enemy that's getting ready to come in for two years, and then the enemy comes in, like you're saying, and it's like, but God, where were you? And we can get comfortable with God still on my side, even though I'm living wrong, because the judgment or the hammer hasn't dropped. You know, it's it's, again, like to relate with the kids. uh, I can still do this because I haven't got caught yet. Well, no, we're we're watching as parents. We're just waiting for that moment to like, all right, we're got to drop the hammer. Uh, we talk about this, me and Justine, with our kids, uh, the costly punishment. What's going to hurt them? What's going to hurt them to the point that they know what they did was wrong, that they don't do it again? And for, I, I want to say, 900 years, it's just been do wrong, come back, do wrong, come back. And now at this point, like out of so many kings, I, I, well, there's Josiah, at least for Judah, um, who kind of reforms them, but then years again go by of just them living the way they wanted to and thinking. Well, like, even with happen. Josiah, it says like, but what he did wasn't enough, and the judgment yeah. was still going to come on them. Yeah, 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 it was just a little too late. Go ahead. I was just going to say you brought up the you said the word "day of the Lord," mm-hmm. and to my knowledge, that's not used in Lamentations. But when looking at lamentations it's how we talked about on previous episodes of like really looking at day of the lord that the day of the lord is a dark day like when the judgment falls and god is setting things right like Mm -hmm. it's not the fun thing it really is judgment coming upon wickedness and it's just like you're getting a first person view of going through that experience when you go through lamentations because like we've kind of dissected day of the Lord as far as like, well, what does it mean? And from the outside and like judgment is coming, whatever. But then when you read Lamentations, it's like, oh, here's the experience of it. You know, it's not talking about it, not talking about that it's coming. It's just like, it's here. And it's scary. (laughs) (laughs) You rarely get uh, an aftermath situation in the Bible. Like you you read about like this happened, that happened, but to actually hear, uh, and and the Psalms and the Proverbs are, or at least the Psalms are a lot, of like, oh, this happened in my life, so let me write about it. But yeah, this yeah. is this is in that range of like, this is the aftermath of probably one of the most devastating events in Jewish history uh, to this people, especially at this time in their culture. Um, so the elephant in the room, authorship. 
you keep seeing Jeremiah. I've been saying Jeremiah and back and forth. So uh, nothing in Lamentations provides an explicit reference to who wrote it. Traditionally, the collection is attributed to the prophet Jeremiah because of some secondary references. Uh, Jeremiah portrayed the prophet engaged in the activity of lamenting over the judgment to come, uh, and that's his own book. Second uh, Chronicles 3.25 reads, Jeremiah composed a lament for Josiah, uh, and to this day all male and female singers commemorate Josiah in the, in the laments. Um, and this became a tradition in Israel. Um, and then Josephus records in the Antiquities that Jeremiah, the prophet, composed an elegy to lament him, Josiah, which is an extent, meaning like it still exists till this time also. And then uh, rabbinic sources also regard lamentation as being composed by Jeremiah. But generally, more, most people today kind of see it more as uh, an anonymous collection. But it's... The thing that we keep saying yeah. is that wherever there's a question that something can be questioned and looked at, it's just like, well, forget tradition, forget what they said. Like we're gonna, and sometimes that's good because like you find out things and it's like, oh, okay, we found out something new because there's a lot of traditions that maybe mm-hmm. got started. I don't know. We might say around the 1500s or maybe yeah. you know, 18th century <laughs> uh, Europe or you know whatever you want to say. And just like, where did those things come from? And you study a bit more and you're like, oh, there's more to be found when studying. Um, but then you come across things like this where it's like, well, it doesn't explicitly say. It's like, well, we were also looking at books in the New Testament that sometimes explicitly say, and you still don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I mean, you have the people out there today on their crusade that, no, Paul didn't write this. Yeah. And it was like, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. Oh, no, only that part he wrote. Yeah. Uh, so, so, you know, it's for me, it's one of those things mm-hmm. of like, yeah, okay, at least with this book. Like, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't come across anything where I went, oh, you know what? That's actually a pretty good point why mm-hmm. it wouldn't have been Jeremiah. It's just kind of like, well, it doesn't say it. And why wouldn't it have been just anonymous? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I, I would sit with more of it. This is, I mean, I grew up my whole life thinking this was Jeremiah until I put some study into it. And then I was like, oh, we'll present the facts of what people think and everything. But I mean, this is going to take us to our second question is who is Jeremiah? Well, how's an, now's an opportunity to let you know that Jeremiah's name means appointed by God. Yeah. Again, you've got that ah uh, at the end for Yah, mm-hmm. Jeremiah. Um, which still carries over into English, you know, we keep that part, but Yah, part of Yahweh, looking at the, the name there. So appointed by God. And he really was. Jeremiah was appointed by God to go and give a message. And man, I don't envy that guy. No. Like we both preach, we both get involved in trying to like bring the word of God to people and we want to see some life change. We want to see, you know, people come and just grow and all those things, plant some seeds, water some seeds, see what God does with it. But Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. Another reason why I think he might have written yeah. Lamentations. <laughs> the first emo kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, he went around, I believe it's 40 years of preaching and not a single convert. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, as from, uh, I think I read he prophesied from 628 to 585. And I mean, during the reigns, it was Josiah and some of the worst kings throughout there to the last one. Um, but yeah, he, that whole time of this is what's going to happen. This is going to happen. The book of Jeremiah just, uh, what I read this, I thought it was pretty cool that uh, there's more detail about Jeremiah's life than any other prophet. Mm. So you got Jeremiah, Kings, Chronicles. Um, and he was prophesying with 
Habakkuk and Ezekiel at the same time. But uh, in Jeremiah, this is what you get. You get he buries a linen belt and then digs it back up to illustrate that the people will be ruined. Mm-hmm. Um, he uses image, the image of the potter and the clay to show God is able to shape the people's destiny. In uh, Jeremiah 16, he's forbidden to marry. Uh, and I read this is reflecting that the people won't have a future. He was forbidden from feasting, uh, meaning that they won't. He was forbidden from mourning when the time uh, comes, many will die and not be mourned. And then uh, he questioned whether he could continue on. Uh, he accuses God of deception. He curses the day he was born. He was imprisoned for presumed treason, thrown down into a cistern to die. And then he was placed in, uh, in the court of the guards and guarded, uh, grant, guaranteed a loaf of bread per day. And then he was taken to Egypt against his will. And like that's Jeremiah's life. And he does all these weird things. He goes through all these experiences. And yeah, this is why he's the, you know, that weeping prophet. I read this, Lamentations 3.53. It said, they tried to put an end to my life in the pit and threw a stone at me. The waters closed over my head and I thought I was about to be cut off. And that reminded me of Jeremiah being thrown into the cistern. Mm-hmm. You know, he was thrown into there. And, and so I kind of tied those two together. That's a good time. Yeah, to say like, oh, well, maybe at least chapter three was written by him or the third one. But yeah, uh, but yeah, all that time just going around and telling the people God's message, delivering them a message and nothing changed. And I guess this is probably a bit more for next week's episode, but in listening with Lamentations, because I was doing a lot of audiobook with it and then it automatically would start going into Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I would let it play, and other times I would, you know, stop and just do Lamentations again. Um, but when you get into Ezekiel, and God's like, look, I'm sending you to rebellious people. They're rebellious. They're not going to listen. Mm-hmm. It's your job to tell them anyways. Your job isn't on the results. Your job is to do what I'm telling you to do. And you know what? Sometimes wicked people are going to turn, and that's great. And you've done your job. But if you don't go tell the wicked people, it's your fault that's the thing that's coming. Like, and you also need to go to the people that are supposed to be righteous and make sure that they're sticking to it and they're not falling into sin. Because if you don't, it's going to be your fault. But the thing that you're at fault for is not going and telling them. Yeah. And it's the same thing with Jeremiah, again, appointed by God to go and give this message. The results weren't in Jeremiah's hands. Obviously, you hear this lament and you see everything that's happening. He's like, we know where his heart was at. Mm-hmm. You know that he believed God and he believed God for the destruction that was going to come. But it wasn't up to him. Yeah. But just that... He was given the task to give a message. Yeah, after that, it's out of his hands. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at part of that message, you brought up the potter's house. Yeah. And I just wanted to take those 12-ish verses there to shape kind of what we're looking at in Lamentations, because we talked a bit about maybe the Israelites' view of themselves and what God would do or wouldn't do and how all of that is. Um, it is a bit of a section, so follow along. Story time. <laughs> So this is Jeremiah 18, 1 through 12. It says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy, 
And if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. Now, therefore, say to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return everyone from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. But they say, That is in vain. We will follow our own plans and will every one act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. So again, just looking at God said, I'm going to show you something. Go and tell the people about it. And the people's response was, nah. Yeah. (laughs) But I just, I really like that because God intended for Israel to be a vessel of honor and to Mm -hmm. do good things. But God is saying, whatever my intentions were for you, I'm the potter. I can change what's going on here. And whatever the intentions are, if you want to keep doing wicked, then I can shape you into something else and make something else happen here. And that's what we see happening. You look at it, though, like throughout the course of Israel's entire time, it's the the promise is, uh, if you, mm-hmm. I will. If. If you don't, I will. And this is the if you don't part of it. Like God's promises are still coming through. His word is still standing true uh, with them because they, they didn't follow through on their end. And he still had to fulfill his words to them. Uh, I think we talked about it a few weeks ago, the threatening, threatening your kids with the punishment. Like, yeah, you, you can't. <laughs> I'm taking all your toys. Yeah, you can't do the threat that you're not going to do. And, and God was like, if you do this, this is going to happen. I mean, it's written out. It's in the covenant. Yeah, yeah, very thoroughly. And this is what they, what they did is they did not hold up their end of the agreement. Uh, this kind of brings us into question four of like, what does Lament show us about God's character? Um, and, and in this, like, I guess what we're talking about, like God's sovereignty in everything. Uh, so I looked at verse three or 37 through 38 of chapter three, and it says, who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Is it not from the mouth of the most high that both calamity and good things come? Uh, so just the idea of sovereignty, meaning that God, uh, this means that nothing can happen that God doesn't allow. Uh, and that everything eventually serves his purpose. Um, and, and this is what's on display in this book, that God has allowed this. He is, uh, in some uh, ways, it says, uh, you've removed your hand, or you've taken away, and that's the protection that he was giving the people. It's now gone. Um, and this was eventually to serve his purpose. And then uh, Lamentation has God directly responsible for the things that happened. Uh, chapter 2 is littered with, uh, he has, meaning God. Mm-hmm. He has done this. He has done that. He has, he has, he has. And if you look throughout the whole chapter, you just read it. He has done this. He has done that. He has done this. Uh, so what is happening to them is, is God. Um, and this is good news uh, because the world is under God's control, even when things seem odd the way he's doing them. Yeah. Kind of on that point of God being in control, and you're talking about in chapter 2, chapter two fourteen. Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. So God really 
saying, hey, your people who are supposed to be leading you in a good way, mm-hmm. they've been lying to you, they've been deceiving you, they've been leading you into sin and really showing that God is just in bringing judgment for their wrongdoing, which even there you can look at like, yes, you're allowing your leaders to lead you in a bad way. <laughs> you, yeah. You know? It's like, but you're all going along with it. You mm-hmm. you know, so like you're, you're, is the word culpable in that as well? But going along with the sovereignty aspect, you see that, and this is a hard thing in Lamentations 3.38, says, out of the mouth of the Most High comes both evil and good. Which people are like, what? Evil yeah. comes out of God's mouth? And I think that's going to get into the last question that we talk about. But when you're looking at God's sovereignty and control of, in judgment, he's using the Babylonians in judge. Like, you know, again, there's mm-hmm. bad things happening there. But to our kids, they would say that our discipline is a bad thing. Yeah. Like, not to trivialize people dying and eating their children. Like, I I personally, I'm a bit detached and numb to understanding what that is because I just can't understand what that is. So I'm not trying to trivialize it. And just like, oh, no, punishing our kids is the same thing as, like, that level of things happening. But it's just trying to <laughs> bring some kind of understanding to it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, just his sovereignty in those things that he controls the nations. You see him, again, on that nation level happening. You see him coming in and the, the people and what they had going on. Um, but then I think that another thing that it reveals about God is despite the suffering and this destruction, is that they recognize that God is still faithful to them and that his love and mercies never cease. Uh, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Mm-hmm. And I think that maybe that's something that a lot of Christians and a lot of the world just struggle with to understand of like, God is allowed to do what he does. And if you see from his perspective, for as much as you can, it makes sense. He's allowed to judge. He's allowed to bring things in. And we can go through that and experience those things and still come out praising him for his goodness. Yeah. It's like, he just put you through that whole situation. Like, it was for my good. Mm-hmm. Like, God is good. Yeah, in the middle of this book is that is that verse. And I don't know if it's the exact middle of the book, but right in the middle of three, mm-hmm is, uh, yeah, what you just read, yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. Like, mm-hmm. this is why he has hope, because the Lord's great uh, love, we are not consumed. His hope is found in God's love. Like, that's the one thing he has to remind himself of, is that uh, I will think about this, God's love. Which is crazy, because when you get to that part, and it'll come through when you listen to the, the reading of the book, but when you get to chapter 3, and it's leading up, you have Jeremiah saying, I'm the man who has seen affliction. He's mm-hmm. driven me away and made me walk in darkness. He keeps turning his hand against me. He's worn away my flesh and skin. He shattered my bones. He's besieged me, surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He's made me dwell in darkness. He's walled me in so I can't escape. He's weighed me down with chains. Even when I cry out and plead for help, he shuts out my prayer. He's barred my ways with cut stones. He is a bear lying in wait, a lion in ambush. And it keeps on like that, right? It's like, none of that stuff sounds good. And then to keep going, to remember my affliction and wandering. Uh, Surely my soul remembers and is humbled within me, yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. Mm -hmm. So he's just saying, all of this is so hard that I'm going through, and it's the worst experiences. And he's just like, how many poetic ways can I tell you how bad this is? But yet I'm going to remember this. Mm -hmm. 
there's hope in God is good and his mercies are new every day. It's like, that's a mindset shift. Yeah, because it, it takes it off of, uh, I guess in one sense, the, the, the anger of God, which mm-hmm. is a prevalent thing in, in Lamentations, and his justice, and puts the focus on his love. And that's what he's thinking. I will remember his love. Uh, and then uh, the continuing from what you just read, uh, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, meaning uh, that he's enough. Uh, therefore, I will wait for him. Like, I know this is happening. I know this is bad, but I will wait for him to get me out of the situation. Uh, the Lord is good to those who hope in him, to those who seek him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And this is the beacon of light in this chapter, or in this book, really, is this portion. And it's reminding us that our God is compassionate. Everything that we go through, and even the stuff that's, like, well-deserved because— and let's face it, like, we deserve absolutely nothing good because of the sin in our life, but we got absolutely good Mm -hmm. because of Jesus. And the reminder here is that if we wait on God, if we go through the time of punishment, it's like, again, like our kids, if you just do the punishment time, you come out and what most parents are still loving and compassionate to their kid. One of the things I thought was really interesting, I read this and it said, the problem of lamentation isn't the absence of God, but it is the presence of God. Meaning that even through this whole time of uh, bad calamity and in a sense, his justice and anger, I think some commentary wrote it as his fiery anger or blazing anger, mm-hmm. um, that he's still present there. And this is where I see chapter three, remember that, is yeah. that I still have hope because of God. Um, so last question? Yeah. His last question is a doozy. It's a, uh, what is the Odyssey? The Odyssey is an ancient Greek story about, who's the guy? Remember the Odyssey? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that who is that about is that hercules nah it's that one king guy right Come on homer's odyssey right homer's yeah but don't. Who's, who's the main dude <laughs> i thought you said don't because i was looking it up like my bad i won't tell you the answer oh, don't. uh is his name odysseus could be odyssey odysseus yeah, it follows the Greek hero Odysseus, king of Ithaca, on his journey home after the Trojan War. When he returned home, only his dog recognized him. <laughs> Good job, Bear. Good job. <laughs> Anyways, the Odyssey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which, when I'm saying the Odyssey, it's T-H-E-O-D-I-C-Y, right? So Theo, meaning in relation to God. Right. So the Odyssey is... Basically, it's a branch of theology that you're seeking to understand and defend the justice and goodness of God in the face of suffering and evil, right? Mm-hmm. It's how do you make sense of a good God when there's evil in the world, basically? Yeah. I mean, we can talk about it a bit more, but in a nutshell, is that, am I correct? Is yeah. more to it? Yeah, that, that's in a nutshell, if we're going to summarize it, uh, the term evil relates to those who are morally wrong and reprehensible. And this is the problem, I guess, the problem of evil is considered a theological and philosophical quandary. Uh, so it roots, it roots stems from the ancient theological works declaring the goodness of a deity despite the existence of evil. So there's a, uh, a lot of it in the ancient Near Eastern world, uh, examples of Egyptian and Mesopotamian writings 
that were written, I think, before the Old Testament include suicide, the protest of the eloquent peasant, the instruction of somebody that's a really Ammon, 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 I don't know. Uh, I will praise the Lord of wisdom, a man and his God, uh, the dialogue of Permissimus, the Babylonian theodicy, and then the poem of the righteous sufferer. So these are all writings that deal with this concept of if there is a divine being, why is there evil in the world? Yeah, so kind of looking at all those examples you're giving, some people will just straight up attribute evil to God and just mm-hmm. kind of like that verse, like, hey, by his mouth, good and evil come. And, you know, that's one route of taking it. It's pretty complex. As you were saying, there's a lot of different approaches um, to reword some of those things is you got people um, arguing that suffering and evil serve a greater good or purpose and God allows them to exist for a reason. It's like we don't understand it because it feels bad, but it's, you know, promoting something that's greater. Mm-hmm. Uh, others argue that suffering and evil are the result of human free will or the consequences of sin and that God doesn't directly cause them. So, yes, he's created a world in which those things could exist, but he's not causing them. It's just on us for our actions. Um, and then other people just go with, hey, the existence of suffering and evil is just a mystery and we can't fully understand or comprehend it. Yeah. Yeah, I had an interesting conversation with this with my friend Nish um, several years ago because for whatever reason, he liked to always play onto the side of like, no, I'm a force for chaos and all this. He's one of those guys. Love you, Nish. Uh, (laughs) But he was like, no, evil has to exist. Yeah. He was like, evil has to exist in order for there to be good. And we would get into arguments about it because like, I don't think so. Like, I think that things can be restored and redeemed and end up in a good place where evil and wickedness don't exist. And like to be good doesn't necessitate the presence or existence of evil. Right. And I think that that's still where I stand, even though that was several years ago. Like I don't, I think that yes, it can be used for purpose. Like I kind of see a mixture of all of those things is that when you experience suffering and wickedness and evil, you know that that's not the thing. So it turns you to search for what goodness and righteousness and all those things are. So there's that. It can cause you, if you're on the receiving end, to cry out for God, which God proves himself that when you cry out to him, he shows himself in that. So I can see some of those, like, there's bigger things happening within it. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree that, no, the evils for almost everything that I can see, it's human fault. Maybe under the... uh influence of dark spiritual forces but it's humans you know doing it whereas running around creating all the bombs and blowing each other up and you know doing all that but ultimately even though we're all on that inward path to eradicate full wickedness from our souls and from our heart and from our being like i don't know when i come to our church and i can see what's happening here and the love that's here and the care that's here i don't think that like well, no, there has to be wickedness in our church somewhere in order for this love to exist. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think that evil is a necessity, but it does exist. Mm-hmm. It's there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a good way to look at it, that, yeah, there is evil there, and it's probably the more helpful way. Like, is it a necessity for there to be good? There has to be evil. Because people say like, oh, in order to know the light, you had to have experienced darkness. And yeah. it's like, eh, I can kind of see what you're saying, but like, I don't but think you need to... But if you, you fully con- lived in the light, 
would you even want to know what the darkness is? Yeah. Or when you came across, you're like, oh, crap, what's that? Yeah, <laughs> Never mind. Way different, yeah. <laughs> Turn around. Uh, I think it's uh, Ippocris. Uh, he was an ancient Greek philosopher. And I, I think I brought him up before in the podcast, but uh, his paradox was if God is powerful enough to abolish evil, yeah. then he either cannot or does not want to. If God does not want to abolish it, then he is evil. If he can abolish it, then why does evil still exist? So he concludes that a God who is all-powerful and all good does not exist. He argues that uh, gods in existence are neither friends nor enemies of humanity. Um, and then from a lot of the second temple period writing, like First Barach, uh, Benser, Fourth Ezra, Second Maccabees, uh, they look at uh, the divine judgment on the wicked, uh, damning them to the afterlife of torment, and, and this was their reward. Um, in the Old Testament, which is crazy, we have Job. Job mm-hmm. is the example of this question. You know, it's, it's there, there in all of its literary form. Job has no idea of chapter one <laughs> right, <laughs> or two, and Job is left there to sit there with this. He just lost everything. Yeah. Why, why is this happening? And everything, everything. Uh, Abraham asked the Lord, uh, shall not the judgment of the whole earth, uh, or shall not the judge of the whole earth do right? Uh, Moses was like, hey, uh, you could write me out of the history of the record books, um, you know, because of the golden calf thing. Uh, Amos and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, uh, God causing woe. Isaiah says, I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. The Lord, I, the Lord, do all things. Uh, Jonah prefers God's justice over his mercy when uh Relates what the to, heck, man? You yeah, killed this yeah. tree that was giving me shade? <laughs> yeah. Can you go kill those, those people? Yeah. Uh, and uh, so you see it throughout the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes is another one. Psalm 73. Uh, you have Asaph, who's just like, why are the wicked prospering? Why all yeah. this? Why all that? What about me? Uh, so it's a good chapter to read through that. And then, you know, the New Testament is Jesus. The suffering servant is tormented and punished. What and, wrong did he do? Yeah, what wrong did he do? So uh, the New Testament, it even kind of prevents it as like evil is, the, is a natural repercussion of free human choice, kind of what you were saying. Evil may be used by God to help shape a believer and sanctify them further. And then uh, evil, through though evil may be carried out and performed, God will one day execute justice and the fairness on all evildoers. So these are the concepts that are then brought up in the New Testament. Yeah. Yeah. So Bible doesn't shy away from the fact Mm-mm. that evil exists. Humans are struggling with it. God is still good throughout all of it. Um, I think that in addition to my view of it exists, but it's not necessary to experience love and goodness. Uh, I want to add on, and I think that this is something that can sound like a cop out to people, but it's really where I land with things is on that level of evil is a mystery that we fully can't understand. Uh, Because like when God says, my ways are above your ways, my thoughts are above Mm -hmm. your thoughts. If my view begins with my birth and ends with my death, full stop, nothing more, nothing less, no greater purpose, nothing exists beyond and everything is like, yeah, what happens in this earthly body is fully of utmost importance. And all of the wickedness, even dying, even like the most horrific things are like, I can only understand it in that small view. But when I look at eternity happening and that for the most part we're we're limited to 120 years and and less 
So that's a short amount of time. We go through sickness, we go through sorrow, we go through horrific things. And sometimes people just make it through and, you know, die in the good old age and had a relatively good life. So the whole mix of everything. But when I see that eternity goes beyond that, even if I was to live to 120 years, that is such a small amount of time. And Paul talks about like the bit of suffering that we go through here cannot compare to the glory that we can Mm. experience, that we will experience if we're faithful, if we willingly even submit to the suffering that comes in following Jesus, that that we'll share in his glory. And I truly, truly believe that in the scope of what eternity looks like, the most wicked, wicked evils and being on the receiving end and all of those things, God will do right by them mm-hmm. in the bigger picture. And if, you're, if your book ends at the end of the first chapter, when you close your eyes for the last time on this earth, and there's nothing else, like you don't think there's anything else, then like, you know, but if you turn that page and you realize that the rest of the story is there, I don't know. It. I'm fully against evil. I'm fully against wickedness. I don't want anyone to suffer. I will stand for people who are suffering. I will sacrifice of myself to prevent that and to help people that are going through that. I will speak truth to power. I'll give of my own time and treasures and everything else to help people. I don't want people to experience harm and suffering here. But ultimately, I trust God with the issue yeah. and that he will make all things right. On the other side, it's going to make sense. Mm-hmm judgment for all the wicked will come in because we're all going to die. Like if it's just like, but wicked people are killing people. It's like, we're all going to die. Mm-hmm. So when we go through that experience of death and we're on the other side, it's like what God does with it is going to make sense and redeem the whole story and understanding of it all. Yeah. That, that the Bible assures us that at the end, God will do right. Yeah. And with all the wrong. And I think Lamentations in a sense ends that way. You know, yeah. The- yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures for generations to generations. Well, why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond all measure. And that's how it ends. Like, yep. well, you could be mad at us, but I really feel uh, that Lamentations often expresses the feeling that God has abandoned the person or the community, mm-hmm. but by continuing to appeal to God, it demonstrates a belief that God is still there and listening. And to me, that's the big takeaway from the study of this book, that even though I may feel away, like I said earlier, uh, this book doesn't demonstrate that God is not there. Right. It's that God is there, um, that God is still listening. And even when we get into, like, is God can, the problem of evil, in a sense, uh, it's still under God's hands, and he's controlling the narrative of it all. And all we have to do is continue to pray and believe he's there and he's listening to us. So that's all I got. Next episode should be fun. Yeah. Oh, for next episode, uh, I know that I recorded the reading of Lamentations in the Brian Study Bible. Um, to try and get people on the same vibe and level as what I'm going to come into the next episode with, take the Bible app, pull up Lamentations, put it onto the message translation, Hmm. and listen to it on audio. And it's short. It's five chapters. Just listen to it on the audio. I think it takes like 30-ish minutes to go through it, something like that. I could be wrong. I was listening to it when I would run, so it would end sometime throughout my run and then skip into Ezekiel. 
but just listen to it from that perspective because that's how I'm going to be coming into the next episode and listening to it in the message definitely gives a different vibe and feel and understanding. It kind of hits you on that inner, uh, I don't know. It's like when me and you talk to each other and like yeah, it hit yeah. different rather than me just studying a book. It's like, oh, that, that hit. Yeah. So recommendation, do that. Listen to it on the message. Yeah. All right. I'm Chris. I'm Yurdu. We are your church friends. Thanks for listening. Nahum, Obadiah, Jude, Philemon, Haggai, Amos.